Okay. All right. Am I there? That hey, and you are there, Jimmy. You found me. Um, oh, fantastic! And, and, I, oh, the kids today with the apps and the <laughs> cell phones and the new, and the long hair. <laughs> Uh, well, let me introduce you properly, Jimmy, because I never get to do it because uh, usually oh. when we're talking, I'm on your show. And I'm very excited that you are making your Colin debut on my show. I'm honored. Uh, Jimmy Dore, as you all know, is a comedian, the host of the, of the Jimmy Dore show. And his show, in my opinion, is a must watch if you want to know what is going on. There's just no one else willing to stand up to the propaganda across partisan lines like Jimmy Dore. And that's why he's developed such a huge following. And uh, for me personally, I've been honored to have played a small part of it when I met Jimmy in 2018 during the Russiagate era when everybody else was drinking the Kool-Aid. And really the only person with a major platform on the left willing to challenge it was Jimmy. And uh Without him, I just I don't I would not be in the place where I am. And so for that, I'm forever grateful and I'm forever grateful for all the work he does on so many issues, including also another big topic of mine, Syria, where I have to say he was right before literally everybody else, uh, including me. He called out from day one that the allegations of chemical weapons attacks in Syria were very reminiscent of the Iraq WMD allegations. And uh, he was completely vindicated when the OPCW whistleblowers came along. And that's only when I got involved in this story. So just Jimmy has a track record of being brave and ahead of the curve. And I'm honored to call him my friend. And I'm honored to have him today joining me on AM Live. How you doing, Jimmy? Wow. That was uh, – I like that intro. That was my favorite intro. <laughs> I think uh, – I, w- I wish you would uh, go – take some time out to just kind of detail everything I got right in, 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 uh, you know, order, you know what I mean? Like, so if, you know, they don't forget the, the fake, uh, sleep in at the Capitol. Right. I was, I was on top of that. Right? <laughs> oh, know. that's right. Yes, yes, yes. The, the Cory Bush protest. Yes. You, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I sniffed that out immediately. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is not real. This is all coordinated with the, with the powerful, uh, and I, it was, and it obviously was, and it didn't do anything. And yet, some people point to that as a high point in the, of the year for the progressives. A fucking stunt. Well, that was a moment where uh, I gave Cory Bush props. I thought that was brave of what she did. But then, two things happened. First of all, you uh, you privately made fun of me for doing that, and then Adam Schiff showed up at the Capitol steps. And that's when I realized that maybe this was not. Uh, <laughs> and then when they got when they, they did get that brief pause in the moratorium, but Cory Bush was basically said that we moved mountains and was declaring victory as if that was uh, like the end of it. And it was the end of it. Basically, we haven't heard about it since. Yeah, um, no, the, those people, those, that moratorium did not get extended. Yeah. And they apparently they didn't sleep out on the steps anymore. That that problem went away, I guess. It didn't get fixed. They just stopped talking about it. And when the, and, you know, and when the child tax credit expired at the end of the year, there was no sleep in for that either, you know, which was so vital for actually arguably probably even more families than the moratorium was. I hate to say, but uh, that yeah. also expired at the end of the year and they didn't sleep in for that. No, it's cold in January. You're not going. They're not going to go out and sleep and have a party. 
And that's what they were doing. And when people, when, when concerned activists asked Cori Bush and AOC, uh, what about the 1 million people that are being left out of this moratorium? They decided to turn the music up so they couldn't hear them. Uh, that's what Hillary, that's what Hillary Clinton does. That's literally what Hillary Clinton and the DNC did. That's what Cori Bush and AOC did to activists. They're no different. They're, they're, they're never going to fight for you. And that's what this all, this whole, well, that's what forced the vote revealed. And then it took a lot of people, uh, the rest of this last year to figure that out. No, they're going to do it with the $15 minimum wage. No, they're going to do it with student debt. No, they're going to do it on the bill, but they never, they'll never do it. They're never going to do it. They are the biggest phonies I've ever seen. Pramila Jayapal is just like Kamala Harris. When she, the bigger she smiles, the bigger she's lying. The more Pramila Jayapal smiles and laughs, the more she's lying and the more she's gaslighting you. These people are not who they pretend to be. They are, they are exactly pretenders. And if they're, they're there to take any revolutionary energy in the United States, funnel it right back into a pro-war Wall Street party that is anti-worker and then where it dies. And so that's what we have. That's why there's no left in America, because people uh, like Kyle Kalinske and Jake Uger and Crystal Ball and almost everybody on the left uh, who considers themselves left thinks you should still keep voting for Democrats. They haven't gotten the message since 2000 that this is a fucking failed uh, strategy and they're just going to keep doing it. They're going to go, oh, a third party couldn't possibly win, but you're going to take over the Democratic Party. That's going to possibly win. Why don't you show some fucking nuts for once in your life? Show some nuts and withhold your vote from the Democratic Party for one election cycle. Just one. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life. Just one, you big pussy. But they won't. And that's why they get the whole. That's why we live in such a, uh, you know, Brazil. We, we have we live in Brazil, except we have New York, Los Angeles and San Francisco. All right. I want to get back to that, but actually I wanted to get your response because uh, there's a new article in the Washington Post that I read and I thought of you because it speaks to what you've been covering on your show constantly and talking about now the failure of the left to win any kind of major progressive achievement. So the article is by Jeff Stein. It's called The Left Dreamed of Remaking America. Now it stares into the abyss as Biden's plans wither. And it has this line, quote, over the last several decades, liberals have achieved only one major expansion of the social safety net. President Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act, which was partially modeled after GOP health plans. So the only major expansion of the social safety net that liberals have won over the last several decades is a health care plan that is modeled on the Republican Party. That's right. <laughs> yes, and... And Barack Obama, I have the videotape. I've showed it on my show many times. Barack Obama admitted that he was governing like a moderate Republican. He said, my policies, if this was in the 1980s, would be considered moderate Republican. Yeah, I know. I know. But the, uh, so things have shifted so far. Now being a moderate Republican is, is, is what a Democrat is. That, that's, and that's where we are. And, and still people are going to tell you to vote for Democrats. They're still going to tell you to donate to them. And that's just gutless. We just have a gutless, nutless left, Aaron. And they'll never get it. I mean, where were the nurses during forced to vote? Now everybody's trying to get this passed in California. Uh, single, uh, single payer. There's the, 
and and I, you know, it's there's just no left. I, I hate to be so. We need a real revolution, you know. Like that's the thing. Uh, I'm not afraid to say anymore because it's just not going to happen without it. Like a real revolution where we throw the bums out. Well, so on the point of uh, withholding your vote, right? So the counter argument you'll get to that is, okay, so what does that accomplish? Because you'll, what that will mean is electing even more Republicans than currently are in power. And what do you gain in terms of leverage from that for the next election cycle? That is, the, is your argument that that will force the centrists to listen to leftist demands in ways that they're taking for granted now? Um, well, you can scare the hell out of the ruling class that way. If you get people that are mobilized, the 10 million, 15 million, which is what Ralph Nader was talking about in 2000 and what I was talking about in 2015, you don't have to win the election, but you can control it because now nobody can get elected without you. And who I don't care who I'm negotiating with, if I'm negotiating with a Republican or a Democrat, because Democrats are, in many cases, further right than the Republicans. So it's two right-wing parties. And so how do we get any kind of power? The way we've been doing it has not worked whatsoever. Uh, in, in 2016, Bernie told everybody to vote for Hillary Clinton, and she didn't pick him as her vice president. Uh, she picked a guy who w- was anti-worker and pro uh, and anti-abortion. By the way, Tim Kaine voted for Amy Colby Barrett, but they still blame Susan Sarandon for the su- Supreme Court. So you're it, as, as Lawrence O'Donnell said before he knew he was going to be famous, if you want to get the party to move to whichever way you want, you have to be willing to show them that you're not going to vote for them. He said, I used to be, a, he, he worked for a, a guy who was the head of the Senate. I can't remember blanking on his name. Uh, and he said, I worked in democratic politics. I never, ever had to listen to anyone on the left because we knew they had nowhere to go. So they all have to decide to go somewhere now. Uh, the people who like Bernie Sanders, they, they can't keep playing this game. And well, I mean, they're going to between you and me, we know they're going to, and things are going to keep getting worse. And so until you show them that you're not willing to keep putting them in power, then um, then then basically the left will never have any political power. That's that is opinion? correct. That yeah. is correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. the left doesn't have any political power. The left the left doesn't even have a cohesive organization that speaks for it anywhere. You know, I mean, the, the, the DSA is, again, it's another organization there to funnel your revolutionary energy back into a pro-war Wall Street party. That's what that's what's happening on a national level. I'm not saying there aren't good people involved in it. I'm saying they're being misled. That is a compromised organization. Uh, I've ripped a page out of their fucking handbook and they pretended like they never heard of it. And it was some kind of crazy, stupid idea. And the page I ripped out of it was we have to force a vote for Medicare for all on the House floor, which is also something that AOC said at the top of her lungs many times that we have to get a vote either up or down or we don't live in a democracy. And then when they had a chance to actually do it, they sided with the oligarchs. So they so voting for AOC, ironically, turns out to be a vote for Nancy Pelosi. Isn't that weird? But my problem here is so, you know, you, so I agree with you when you say Democrats are an obstacle to social progress and they exist to funnel progressive energy into uh, corporate right wing, right wing centrism. I, I, I think I totally agree with that. My problem is, though, 
You also say that in some ways Democrats are more right wing when Republicans. I think you can argue that on on foreign policy in some ways. Like if you compare yes. if if you compare what Trump said in 2016 about foreign policy with Hillary Clinton, he was the anti-interventionist candidate. Now that didn't translate though into policy because once he came to power, he basically did all the neocon policies that he campaigned against. So rhetorically, yes, he was more anti-interventionist. And if he had camp if he had actually governed in the way that he ran on foreign policy and talking about curbing interventions and pulling out of uh, Afghanistan and Syria. I mean, I, I think I think there's a you could have a case there. But in practice, look, what was his major achievement? Legislative achievement. He he had the tax heist. That was the biggest upward of transfer of wealth in U.S. history, the tax cuts for the wealthy. And Democrats weren't on board with that. That was Republicans. So I just question. I agree. I, I think you have a like when you say that the left needs to show the flex of muscle. That's very convincing to me. But I just want to, like, for me, I, I'm worried about not being, um, uh, I'm worried about giving Republicans the the power that results from that. And and because I don't think you can negotiate with them for anything. Whereas I, in my opinion, with Democrats, sometimes you have a chance to achieve something good. When was the last time that you did that? <laughs> well, they, look, the, you, the, you the, they expected... They just admitted yeah. that the only thing that the left has gotten done in the last 20 years was a right wing giveaway to the health insurance and big pharma called Obamacare. That's the only thing that they can point that to. And it's not even a left wing policy. So this I, I, you know, you keep pretending that the Democrats and Republicans aren't playing a game. And they are because they're being they they're owned by the same people. That's not hyperbole. And they serve the exact same people. And so just just like MSNBC versus Fox, that that's for show. This is all for fucking show. They're all going to be always be pro-war, pro-military industrial complex and anti-Bernie Sanders, <laughs> both of them. And they all and they both would have voted for Trump had Bernie Sanders been the nominee. They admitted it on fucking Morning Joe, all those pricks. They all know <laughs> that they would fucking vote for for uh uh, they they and then and then morning Joe Ball had to correct Donnie Deutsch. Oh, don't don't say, you, know, you said the quiet part out loud, Donnie, that you'll vote for for Donald Trump over Bernie Sanders, and of course they would. Right, right. I mean, right. Joe well, that, Biden. Yeah. Joe Biden it, it has was worse for this country by far than Donald Trump, and the biggest upward transfer of wealth in the history of humankind was the CARES Act. And that was voted on, that was voted for by every Democrat and every progressive in Congress. And not nobody did anything to stop that. Bernie Sanders didn't put a hold. The most leftiest lefty Democrat didn't flex his muscle, not even a little. Bernie Sanders bullshitted people over the CARES Act and pretended like he fought to get uh, uh, unemployment insurance in the bill. What it, he had nothing to fucking do with it, and that was already decided before he gave that speech. He's a grandstander. That's what that taught us, and that he'll never put a hold on a bill because he's never going to go against the establishment for real when he has the chance to. That's what that revealed too. So this idea that somehow Democrats are the saviors, Democrats are the enablers. They need the good cop, bad cop, and that's what we're living through. If you know, you know, think. Do you think that Mitt Romney could have got done half the shit that Barack Obama did without any protest? He couldn't have. So that's why they love Barack that's, Obama. That's, that's where that's where I'm very sympathetic to your argument that it's true that Barack Obama puts a very kind, people like him put a very kind face on the oligarchy, and they can accomplish 
horrible things that someone like Mitt Romney as this villain could not do. But Trump did get done the tax heist. I do think that was the biggest upward transfer of wealth in U.S. history, at least with the CARES Act. I know that obviously the wealthy benefited. In fact, I want to ask you about uh, some new stats about how much the billionaires have benefited during the pandemic. But the CARES Act at least had some positive provisions for working people, whereas Trump's Trump's tax heist, that was just for the ultra wealthy, which to me is the Republican Party's only constituency. For every blue collar voter we lose, we're going to add two to three white collar suburbanites. And you can repeat that in Wisconsin and Ohio and in Illinois. Who said that? That was the Democratic leader at the time. So this Schumer, idea, yeah. That's right. So this idea that it's I, I hey, I share your desire for a, a, a political party that somewhat represents workers, too. They don't. This is gotcha. not how, yeah. and if it wasn't, you know, and so, and the people uh, focusing their ire on Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema are chumps, because it used to be Joe Lieberman was the one who kept us from the public option. Now it's Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Before that, it was the parliamentarian. It's always going to be something, and you're always going to be a chump for voting for Democrats. Well, hey, on this point, let me ask you about the comments just this week from uh... Paul, Paul Begala, the Democratic strategist, former yes. counsel to Bill Clinton. Yes. And this this represents the attitude towards <laughs> average people that you're talking about. So he was on CNN on Monday, and you know he was asked to respond to criticism from the family of Dr. King about Biden administration coming up short in passing voting rights. And he blamed what he called, quote, bad followers. He said, I think the problem <laughs> for the Democrats right now is not that they have bad leaders, they have bad followers, okay? Yes. And you want me to respond to that? Or wow, yeah. how do you respond? How do you respond to that as a guy who says you should vote for Democrats because it makes a difference? I said, uh, you know, look, uh, I respond that the Demo- that these that the Democratic Party is an enemy to progress, and they it's true that we're not going to have a decent country until they are defeated. I guess. My I um and I'm sympathetic to your argument that it's very convincing that if you keep voting for them, they're never going to go away. <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's hard to argue that. But I, then I just I, again, I'm being honest. I think of the of the alternative, which is putting Republicans in power for a cycle. And I just knowing all the horrible things they do. It's hard for me to get behind that. It is. It is. You know, right now they can keep throwing the potato back and forth. It's the Republicans fall. It's the Democrats fall. It's Republicans. If we had one party rule like China, it would be better than what we have right now, (laughs) because in China, actually shit gets done because people hold them accountable. When shit goes wrong, they only have one party to fucking blame. And now when shit goes wrong, they blame the other party. It's a joke. And by the and they're all serving the same people. And um, five trillion dollars in upward. And we're the only country that didn't give people payments during the lockdowns. We're the only Western country that didn't do that. And then they go out and they, they, people, they make people so desperate. Joe Biden promises them $2,000, which was a lie. And then they tell you they got to censor Joe Rogan. No, you got to, the biggest liar in the country is Joe Biden. It's go, always going to be the president of the United States is always going to be the biggest liar in the country. The government is always going to be the biggest purveyor of misinformation. And then after that, it's always going to be the corporate media. It's not Joe Rogan is not the problem. 
but that's why they have to silence him because he shines a light on what their problem is. Oh, they want Joe Rogan to bring on someone to, uh, they want Spotify to have some kind of a policy. What kind of policy do they have at CNN for Chris Cuomo <laughs> interviewing his fucking brother? They don't have any. Are you shitting me? They all take millions and billions of dollars from the people they're supposed to be investigating, which is why people like me and you have shows. What's it like seeing uh, so much? Like, it's like, you know, you, you know Joe Rogan. You, you've, you, you came up with him in the comedy world. And I, just what's it like seeing him be now being treated as sort of like public enemy number one by, by the corporate media? So if he's kind of responsible for, for so many problems in the country, he's like become like a new scapegoat. It, yeah, that's their scapegoat. Now they, it, and that's all they got. And all they have is the – if they have to – and this is real. They have to keep the cultural divide happening because once people realize that their enemy isn't their neighbor, but their enemy is also a victim of the same oligarchs that we should we both has have an enemy, that's when they're in trouble. So they got to keep this going and they got to pretend like Joe Rogan, a guy who endorsed Bernie Sanders, is somehow a right winger. And they do the same thing to me. I, I, yeah. I voted for Jill Stein. Uh, I, I voted for Howie Hawkins. Somehow, I'm a goddamn right winger. I, you know, I I tried to. I had the biggest movement in a generation to get a vote on Medicare for all. I'm a right winger. So that's all they have. And Joe Rogan dwarfs the corporate media, and they don't know what to do with them. That's why they don't know what to do with people like me or you. And that's why we drive them crazy. And that's why any. But, you know, the last time Joe Rogan had somebody on his show from the corporate media, I th from CNN anyway, it was Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And guess what happened? Dr. Sanjay Gupta had to admit that CNN was lying about ivermectin. And they shouldn't have called it horse dewormer because it's in, on the WHO list of essential medicines. And it won the Nobel Prize for medicine in 2015. So uh, he had to apologize to Joe, and it didn't didn't go the other way around, did it? Isn't that interesting? And so Joe Rogan is the guy who has to fact-check CNN. And then when CNN showed a video of Joe Rogan announcing he had COVID, they darkened it. They deceptively darkened his video to make him look sick. Can you imagine if Joe Rogan did that to CNN? They'd be like, this guy's a conspiracy. He does. He's deceptively editing videos. They would go fucking crazy but cnn does that shit all the time and they get to just lie and right and right now uh everybody from msnbc has a tweet up that's medical misinformation because rachel maddow still has that uh tweet out that says uh that there's people getting poisoned by ivermectin and overcrowding the hospitals and gunshot victims can't be seen by the in the in the emergency rooms and remember Rolling Stone, and they had a picture of people standing in line as if they were waiting in line to get into the emergency room. I'm like, all those gunshot victims are standing in line to get into the... So anyway, uh, the, the, that's the crazy part, is that, of course, the corporate media and the government are the people who are spreading the most misinformation because they're paid to. Uh, Joe Rogan just gives you the counter narrative to that. And if you got something against Joe Rogan having Dr. Robert Malone on his show, then why doesn't CNN have Dr. Robert Malone on his show and debunk him? If for the same reason Rachel Maddow wouldn't have Glenn Greenwald on or you on to debunk Russiagate because they would look like idiots because they know they're pushing propaganda.
Yeah, the thing about Malone is that he's constantly dismissed as being an anti-vaxxer. And I, I haven't looked up in, too much in his views, although I saw your interview with him. But he's, he's he even got the vax himself, right? And yes. his whole thing And his whole thing is he advocates focusing the vaccine on vulnerable people. Uh, and not just vulnerable people in the West, but around the world where people yes. are still being denied it. And the way he's presented in the media just completely distorts that. Of course, just like the way Joe Rogan's presented in the media, is distor- or me, the way I'm presented, whenever they do a hit piece on me, it's always a distortion. It's not, I mean, it's, uh, so these are people with axes to grind and paid by corporations to discredit you. I mean, that's, that's what the media has become. That's why my show's so popular. That's why uh, Google has to give a special shitty algorithm to try to suppress my show. <laughs> Whereas... I mean, whereas they every other show they try to help they try to help your show grow. It, only in America would Google try to suppress something that's making them money. Why? Because the larger narrative hurts their bottom line, and that's why they took the dislike button away on YouTube videos now because all the coverage of the vaccines uh, was getting voted down like crazy. And especially when it came to the push to get your children vaccinated. And so three, th- uh, three-fourths of the country's parents did not want their kids to get vaccinated or were vaccine hesitant for their children, right? Because, you know, uh, the kids have absolutely no risk from COVID. Uh, they have a bigger risk from the flu than they do from COVID as a kid. So what they had to do was get their uh, bought media like NBC News, CNN, to go on and spread fear-mongering statistics about COVID in children, which were straight up lies. And those videos are still up on YouTube. I've done videos about them, and those videos are straight. They just lied about the number of kids who have COVID. They lied about the number of kids in the hospital with COVID. They lied about the number of kids who died with COVID. And it's just a, just a, a big fear-mongering campaign. And I pointed out, I can throw a dart at a wall and hit any news story about COVID and it's going to be filled with misinformation from the corporate media. But I got to watch my P's and Q's on YouTube because I have to, I've never said anything that wasn't correct, right? As far as as a fact dealing with COVID, I've never said anything that wasn't correct, but YouTube has told me that that's not good enough. You have to make sure you're providing enough context or it goes against our community guidelines. So they can decide I'm not giving enough context anytime they want, which is the same bullshit critique that the AP gave to Dr. Robert Malone, that he didn't provide enough context. Hey, uh, why don't don't you provide the context of you guys are bought and paid for and you're full of shit, how about that? (laughs) The funniest thing I've seen with your YouTube is like the slow roll that they've given your subscriber count. So like, for it's like for over like they refuse to let you go over a million. It's been like this deliberate effort to not let you pass one million. So even though your your videos get so many more views than other YouTube channels uh, with comparable subscribers, your subscriber count just like ticks up at the slowest rate possible. Whereas other channels with you know over a million subscribers, you you look at their view counts and nobody's watching it. So it's like which one is it? Is is like how can you have so many subscribers continue to grow, but yet nobody's watching? So they're just subscribing for the fun of it, but choosing not to watch the videos? So that's what I've pointed out to my liaison at YouTube, and they have no, I don't have an answer for that. I'm like, so this you're telling me this show that has 1.2 million subscribers 
Somehow they have 300,000 more subscribers than I do. Uh, yet most of their videos don't crack 10,000. Uh, how could that possibly be? And I don't have as many subscribers as they do. How could that possibly be? Well, that's because they unsubscribe. I'm on the algorithm that unsubscribes people from your channel. I've had everybody unsubscribe from my show. I've been unsubscribed from my show. My, my executive producer was unsubscribed uh, from my show. So mm. lots of people have been uh, uh, constantly unsubscribed from my show. And it's because it, it, they've admitted it. The head of is so funny. You know, I want. I kept trying to get uh, the, my YouTube liaisons to admit that there was a different algorithm for corporate news than there was for us, independent news. And they were like, no, there's no, they kept saying this. They, they would use technical terms that I don't know what it meant. And they would say, no, that this or that, that this is the same, that's the same. And I'm just like, hey, I, what, I don't know what you're saying, but I know that you guys are not treating us the same. And then the next week, the head of uh, YouTube uh, came out in the, or Google one or the other, and it was it's a woman, and she admitted uh, that they were first of all they were bragging that they are suppressing independent news views or what they call what do they call us marginal news they or they, they called there's they have a name for us and uh, that and they had statistics they go look how many fewer views they're getting look how many fewer recommendations they're getting so they have an algorithm now to suppress our show instead of helping our all we want is a, all i want is a level playing field i want to be on the same uh youtube algorithm as the young turks i want to be on the same youtube algorithm as uh, msnbc and everybody who has an msnbc contract i want to be on the same algorithm i want the same shot as cbs news because the whole point of my show is i point out where that news isn't telling you the truth and they're leaving out everything they're not providing context and so but that's not what youtube wants anymore because they are owned by the most powerful company in the history of the world google and what they want is advertiser friendly everything and so they're pushing mainstream news as they they call it authoritative news right authoritative sources and my whole show is based on debunking them showing how bullshit they are how they are wrong about everything to, to do with foreign policy and how they're wrong about everything to do uh with russiagate I mean, that's basically what my show was built on. And so now YouTube is working against me and working for the corporate news. And nobody goes to YouTube, by the way, to watch fucking corporate news. They have to be forced. It. They have to be forced <laughs> on them. Yeah. And am I right that you've, you know, sometimes because you be out of concern of being basically censored, that you've chosen not to do your show, certain episodes of the yes. Jimmy Dore show on YouTube. So you just don't even put them up. You do them. On Rumble, on Rumble or Super U or or, or Rockfin, Rockfin. Yeah. Uh -huh. like my interview with uh, RFK Jr. I put it up on YouTube actually for a little while, and I just got nervous, and I just was yeah. like, I, I can't risk my whole life, you know. Uh, I, I, it, I had it up for like two days. It got one hundred fifty thousand views in like two days, and then I just took it down, and I was like, because I I, could, I couldn't sleep, huh? And yeah. I was like, I was like, hey, I'm all for being courageous, but. Uh, I can't get sick, you know, if I can't sleep, I'm going to get sick and, uh, and, you know, if I lose my channel, that doesn't help anybody. It's up on Rockfin, so I got it out there and everybody could go see it. I want to ask you about your coverage of uh, the response to the pandemic, because I think it's been really, of course, which is exactly what happened with Russiagate, um, really misconstrued. I mean, I think you, you've been accused of, of doing things that I've never seen you do. And, and what I've seen you do is focus on 
the impact of the pandemic on workers, on working people, people who are not represented in the, uh, you know, coastal media and in and in Congress. Um, a, a few stats have just come out. This is from the uh, Institute for Policy Studies. It says that uh, during the pandemic, billionaires have amassed close to two trillion dollars in wealth alone. And another new uh, study from Oxfam called Inequality Kills says that the wealth of the world's 10 richest men doubled since the start of the pandemic, uh, with 160 million more people around the world pushed into poverty. And one more thing I want want to read for you, um, because I'm pretty sure I learned about this first on your show. I think you and Max Blumenthal talked about this. This is about the impact of the pandemic and the lockdowns on Social Security. This is from the Washington Post. It says this, even as courthouses, motor vehicle and veterans benefits offices and most other parts of the government that directly serve the public have reopened 21 months into the coronavirus crisis, the Social Security Administration remains mostly closed to in-person service. It's workers at home denying vital assistance to most of the poor, elderly and people with disabilities who have long relied on their local office to navigate one of the government's most complex <clears throat> benefits systems. The unintended consequence, the federal government's lengthy effort to protect the health of its workers and the public has instead wounded many of those in greatest need of its services. Now, this is a theme, Jimmy, that I've just seen you pick up a lot on your show, the impact of you know lockdowns and shutting things down and all these uh, measures on the on society's most vulnerable people, and I'm wondering, you know, um, what that issue uh, means to you, and how your thinking has evolved over the course of the pandemic, and 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 compare, you know, what you've been talking about to the the lack of discussion about that elsewhere. Well, you know, I, I was like everybody else, so I was just as afraid as Chomsky, and uh, is about the virus. I was convinced that I was, if I caught it, I was going to die. And uh, I was scared to death. And uh, and so as soon as the vaccine became available, I got it, you know. And because we were told <laughs> that if you got the vaccine, you're not going to get coronavirus and you're not going to spread it. And, it's, and you're going to be able to go back to your regular life. And those were all lies. And... Um, I got, uh, I was uh, super unfortunate. I got vaccine injured. I was uh, made sick by the vaccine, meaning uh, all the side effects that you get uh, never went away. I felt like I had a flu. I I had a stiff neck and headaches. I had joint pain, body aches, and uh, wasn't going away. And I would just get exhausted, waves of exhaustion, and they wouldn't go away. And for five weeks, and I, you know, now just imagine if I, if I was still a, a bricklayer, what would I do? You know, I couldn't go to work and you can't sue anybody if you get injured by the vaccine. So you're just fucked. Luckily, I could still make it through uh, a show or two, right? And I could still earn a living and... Uh, but I was in bad shape. And so I was contacted by a doctor who was running uh, a study on how to treat 
COVID and specifically long haulers. So his focus of his study was how to treat long haulers. And he had a theory about people who got in vaccine injured that uh, they would also present as long haulers. So he did a sophisticated blood draw on me and all these sophisticated tests. And he showed me, I, the, you know, the, the, the data, which I can't understand at all. But he showed me, he said, if you look, here's your markers. And here's the markers of someone who presents as having long COVID. You present exactly the same. So even though you've never had COVID, your body is experiencing long COVID. And so they decided to treat me like they would treat someone who had long COVID. And they used experimental drugs and uh, fluvoxamine, which has been proven to work. Uh, they also gave me a prednisone. They uh, they gave me a couple of, why am I... Uh, but the important, uh, they also gave me ivermectin, which the C- people don't know this. The CDC encouraged people to use it in trials. If they weren't telling doctors this is horse medicine. They were telling doctors, uh, please do trials and use this. And then so we can have data so we could uh, figure out if it works. Uh, they don't, that, that's, but that's the exact opposite you would get if you got your news from Twitter for the corporate news media. You would think that uh, it was uh, some kind of right-wing conspiracy to get people to poison themselves, uh, and it wasn't. So um, that's got, so I media, I saw what they were doing with ivermectin and I'm like, oh my God, they're fucking lying about this stuff. I couldn't, you know, I'm like, so then I start investigating it, right? And only because I got injured. Otherwise, I would have just because I didn't I didn't look into it before I got the vaccine because I was afraid I would find out something that would make me nervous. And I knew I was going to get it anyway. Right. I was going to get the vaccine anyway. And I'd rather not know the thing that's going to make me nervous. Well, I paid the price for that. So uh, and then it wasn't until after that that I started to look into things and that me being entered into this study and me having had doctors who are running the study tell me, yeah, they're doing propaganda about ivermectin and it's because it's cheap and nobody can make money off it. And, uh, you know, even if there's a slight chance it would help, they would want to discredit it. So um, I knew this and then I would see what was happening and I would see that, you know, the mainstream news just lying about the effectiveness of that. Well, I, uh, it's again, the video is still up. Rachel Maddow said, if you get vaccinated, that stops the virus. It's over. You can't transmit it and you can't get that is not true. And that's never been the case. And so now they've shifted the goalposts all the way to, well, it's going to prevent serious illness and death. It reduces that. That's that's now the promise that. You should get vaccinated. Uh, so when you do catch it, not that you're not going to catch it. So when you do catch it, because you're going to catch it, everyone's going to catch it. So when you do catch it, you don't get uh, sicker or dire, right? And uh, and yes, I know I said dire. Um, <laughs> but um, so that's where we're at, which is a total different promise. 
And now, uh, but they still somehow, even though that's what they're telling everyone now, fine. Well, fine. They're still not telling everyone that everyone's going to get it. They're still pretending like you can avoid getting COVID. You can't. You're going to get it. And so what they should be telling people is get ready for when you get it. And how do you get ready? You make sure your vitamin D3 levels are way up because uh, the people who suffer the worst COVID are the people who have low vitamin D3 levels. You tell them to get their vitamin K2. You tell them to get their vitamin, you tell them to get zinc. Uh, there's lots of things. You tell them to lose weight. I lost a lot of weight during the lockdown. You, they're not telling anybody to do that. Uh, they keep saying the same two things, masks and vaccines, masks and vaccines. And they keep insinuating and they gaslight people into thinking that if enough people get vaccinated, we're going to get rid of this virus. We are never, ever getting rid of this virus and everyone is going to get it. So why do we have to have a vaccine mandate? If you're going to get it, who do you care if you get it from someone who's vaccinated or if someone's unvaccinated? It doesn't make logical sense. And so, but it does tap into the I want to blame and scapegoat somebody for this shitty situation that's caused by COVID-19. And so the establishment wants you to blame your neighbor instead of blaming them for their unbelievably abusive and corrosive policies of lockdown that didn't work. Well, the uh, scapegoating part is where I totally agree with you. I I think if they had just said, um, which is... Uh, something that I accept. I have no grounds to challenge the studies that say this, that the vaccine reduces your chances of hospitalization and death. I think it's a very good reason to get the vaccine, but to scapegoat people who don't get it, uh, who might have their own reasons not to get it. I mean, people have these choices to make on their own to scapegoat them and blame them for a spread that really they have nothing to do with, because as you talk about the vaccine does not stop the spread. It's just, it's, it's, it's raised this climate of distrust. And I think the argument that the vaccine protects you from, you know, increases your chances of avoiding hospitalization and death is a good enough reason to get the vaccine, but to then make other claims around that and to disparage possible alternative forms of medicine is, and to, and to blame workers and force them to get, um, a vaccine or lose their job, you know, and especially if you were talking about black workers who have a history of being, uh, you know, uh, exploited by the medical establishment in the United States. So have every reason to not trust what they're being told. And, and, and that's their right, I think, um, even if I personally choose to get the vaccine myself. That's the part that I think is so unfortunate. And it does speak to what you've been talking about for a long time, which the establishment always finds ways to pit people against each other rather than keeping rather than having people unite to confront the the oligarchy and the people who really make decisions in society and control society they fired 72,000 healthcare workers in New York in the middle of a quote unquote pandemic and everybody cheered it on uh, what, yeah. have we lost our minds and so and what because they wouldn't get a vaccine that doesn't prevent you from getting it it doesn't keep you and you're going to goddamn get it and so who do you care you get her? It doesn't, that doesn't prevent transmission. It just fucking doesn't. And it doesn't prevent you from getting it. And there was never any science that said it prevented transmission. There was never any science that said that. If you go today to the FDA, well, the last time I went, which was about two weeks ago, to the FDA website to look this up, and you say, does the uh, mRNA vaccine prevent 
uh, transmission of COVID. They say, while it is, we hope it does. They say, we hope it does. They don't have any evidence that it does. So they never did have that. So whenever someone told you that, they were fucking making it up. There's the misinformation, not Joe Rogan. They're afraid that Joe Rogan's going to give information. That's, they're not afraid of misinformation. They've always been afraid of information. And exactly how I predicted it on the Young Turks, when everybody at the, every knucklehead at the Young Turks was for censoring uh, Alex Jones, uh, I said there's already a fucking system in place that is supposed to discourage the kind of shit that Alex Jones is doing right now. And by the way, Alex Jones is going through it right now. He's being sued, and he's getting his ass handed to him. And uh, uh, But if we, we went from it's just going to be Alex Jones to now we went to the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology in the middle of an mRNA vaccine technology thing, pandemic, and then we then we banned a president. Then we banned a Kennedy. So it's everybody now. Now everybody's afraid they're always going to lose their right to free speech. Yeah, and that's the part I, that is crazy. That no matter wh- whether I agree with people like RFK or not, and I, I don't agree with what a lot of a lot of what I heard him say, but the, the fact that people like that can be banned is it's just insane. And, and it's and you're right, it's totally normalized this culture where people cheer that they cheer the they, firing of workers, they they cheer the cancellation of free speech, they, and that's chilling. Aaron, if they if those shit libs, if those Biden voters had their way, they would ban people like you for Russian misinformation. Oh, I know. I, of course, I know. I know. But that is, yeah, of course, of course, of course. I know. Um, Jim, I know you have to go soon because um, you have another uh, yeah. interview coming up. Um, so, what's happening with uh, with the Jimmy Dore show? Maybe talk to us about. Are, are you are you touring again anytime soon? I know you've been doing some more live shows recently. How's that been going? And uh, are you are you hitting the road again? Uh, we are going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlie Goodnight's, and. It's already sold. There's a second show now. So, yeah. So, you know what? It's, it's going, going, traveling and doing comedy in red states is such a, I heard Bill Maher say this and I was like, yes, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> he goes, going to red states is such a breeze. Going to blue states is such a pain in the ass. It really is. They still, they still pretend like they're, they're going to, you know, with the masks and the thing. And it's like, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And by the way, Omicron is much milder. That's another thing they don't tell you. But yes, it's way more contagious. It's it's now presenting as a cold. That's what it presents as, a cold, which is just what Dr. Robert Malone predicted on my show, Aaron. He said that it will mutate to become more contagious and less deadly unless, and in his theory, is that you vaccinate the vulnerable. You vaccinate the elderly, the obese, people with comorbidities, and then you let healthy people get the virus, and then it mutates to become more uh, contagious but less deadly. And that's exactly what has happened with the Omicron. It has mutated to become less deadly, now it's just a cold, and to become way more contagious, which is exactly what you want. Now it's just going to become a cold. That Hopefully, that's what we have our fingers crossed. Hopefully it doesn't mutate again and become more. But that's what's happening. And, by, and so the, the idea that you can uh, uh, silence a guy like that, and his voice isn't it's dangerous. So now we live in this world now where ideas are dangerous and the government and big tech and corporations have to protect us from ideas that are bad. It's the, and, and the thing is, the Democrats all cheer this on. Uh, the studies have shown uh, that, I mean, polls have shown 
that they they're all for it. Anyway, I, I got to go. But uh, listen, uh, yeah, everybody can check me out at uh, JimmyDoreComedy.com. We'll be in Philadelphia in February, and we're setting up our 2022 tour now because uh, I think what happened was people are when, – when they were faced with having to get a fourth shot, I think that's when people were like, hey, I think that's when this is all going to stop. We'll see. I could be wrong. I've been wrong in the past, but uh, and I'll be wrong in the future, but I'll never <laughs> be as wrong. I'll never be as wrong as CNN – or MSNBC. I hear that. Uh, Jimmy Dore, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Okay. Take care, brother. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. So that was Jimmy. Really grateful to him for stopping by. And uh, we have some people in line with calls. So I will take them, starting with uh, Sid. And uh, when you come in, just remember to unmute your microphone. Hi, Aaron. Um, Hi, Sid. I was just wondering, how does it feel uh, to have your integrity questioned by the towering intellects of Emma Vigland and Sam Cedar, who have done field research in the Lower East Side of Manhattan in Brooklyn, <laughs> compared to you? Uh, does that, you know, do you lay awake sleeping? At night? Does, it, does that really bother you? Oh, I, I wasn't aware that they questioned my intellect, but, um, you know, uh, I um I welcome you know, look I I welcome criticism if it's substantive. Um, it actually was a great example is it was really good for me for when the Young Turks tried to debunk the OPCW whistleblowers uh, whistleblower story, right? <laughs> most most tactful propagandists on the Syria dirty war, which is pretty much almost everyone in media who covers Syria. Uh, pushes propaganda around it. They avoid the OPCW story because it's so explosive. This is, you know, the world's top chemical weapons watchdog going to Syria, investigating this alleged chemical attack in April 2018, where Syria was blamed and the U.S. launched airstrikes in purported retaliation. And the OPCW's own inspectors found no evidence of a chemical attack, and they wrote up a report that was then censored. And all this is documented in an extensive trove of leaks, right? And so for this story is so explosive that most people in the media just ignored it. It's to the extent it's being mentioned, it gets dismissed by the Guardian as a Russian led campaign, which is not true. These are the OPCW's own inspectors who did this investigation and then protested when that investigation was censored. The New York Times mentioned it once in passing at the bottom of a story about something else about this uh, website called Bellingcat, which is happens to be funded by the U.S. government, something that was omitted but most people otherwise have just ignored the story but then the young turks came and tried to debunk it uh because instead of just apologizing to me for saying i'm paid by russia they doubled down and tried to uh, try to take on the story that i cover and that they had attacked me for and it brought more attention to a story that everyone has otherwise ignored and so i i appreciate it actually when people uh, come at me like that because it brings more attention to stories that are otherwise swept under the rug because they're too damning to uh, the establishment narratives. And that's why I challenge them personally. And I'm, I'm gratified when it, it elicits a result. So um, I didn't know that people have questioned uh, me from the majority of course, but, but great. You know, I hope it brings more attention to the stories that I, that I cover. Thank you. Thanks. Sid. Okay. Next caller is for revolution, Chris, and remember to unmute yourself when you come in. Oh, actually, sorry. No, here we go. Hey, Aaron. Hey. Hoping Jimmy would be on so I could uh, 
ask him what that next interview was here and see where that's but um anyway interesting conversation today um did you guys talk about that i think you did the 270 doctors that wrote that letter and was covered in in uh in the rolling stone i think jimmy covered that recently uh i we didn't talk about that today but okay. i'm pretty sure i didn't watch jimmy's most recent show but i'm pretty sure if memory serves me correctly that he did talk about that he and did. i think he i think the premise was like he was making fun of some of the doctor's credentials like they were they were not who they said they were was that what, what it was about well, there's a lot of them that aren't doctors. There's a lot, a lot of just nurses, and nurses are acceptable, but there's a lot of, like, MPHs, which are, like, hospital administrators, and, right. like, like people that have PhDs and are research uh, people and not and researching not on epidemiology. It's really interesting. But anyway, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Well, I'm sure Jimmy had a lot of fun with that one because it sounds funny. Um, but uh, no, I uh, I haven't looked into it beyond that. All right. Well, um, I saw you yesterday on on Monday mornings. It's good having somebody fill in for Matt. That's good. Um, appreciate you being on there, and I appreciate your time today. But I'll uh, I'll jump down and let somebody else speak. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Kusha, you. Kusha, you are next, and uh, remember to unmute yourself. Hello, Aaron. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you very much for having me on your platform again. I really enjoyed hearing uh, your discussion today with uh, Jimmy Dore. And uh, as the previous um, caller said, congratulations on your new opportunity with um, Katie Halper. Thanks. And for people to know, I'm, uh, Matt Taibbi is taking a book leave from useful idiots. So I'm filling in for him in his absence. Okay, great. And so, um, I wanted to, uh, ask you a question, um, about what was mentioned earlier, uh, during, um, Jimmy Dore's intro to this episode about the Syrian, uh, chemical attacks. Um, also a little bit before that, I was wondering if I could preface with something that's oriented towards the title of this episode. Um, and in that spirit, I was wondering if I could just ask you, firstly, um, what you think about um, what have been some of the most frustrating cases of the, you know, shitlibization, if you will, of an influential figure's legacy, like what's been done to that of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, you know, like Hillary Clinton, as she did recently, spoke about the white moderate quote, like someone other than that, that you've seen that you've found frustrates you so another example of a of a noble legacy being exploited exactly in that way i know like mandela's for instance a big one if you have any that personally very much irk you uh through the work you've done or through the work you've seen i'd be curious to know well yeah i think the most egregious example was dr king just because the gap between how he's publicly presented now in the mainstream versus what he actually stood for it's so wide. I mean, he's someone who also opposed, you know, war, economic equality, uh, but all that and organized around it. You know, when he when he died, he was he was organizing uh, sanitation workers in Memphis and rallying to support them and also organizing the upcoming Poor People's March. And all that gets just completely erased because, uh, 
you know, the establishment wants to water him down. But in terms of other examples, geez, I have to think about that. Um, uh, I mean, um, God, I'm sure there are so many. I'm sorry. I'm just blanking at the moment. No worries. I, That's an on-the-spot question. It's tough. If, and oftentimes, if, if, yeah. oh, sorry to cut you off. I was just going to no, say ahead. oftentimes what happens, in my view, I've noticed is someone who's very challenging against the establishment uh, and status quo, they don't often get the Martin Luther King treatment. Uh, someone that comes to mind for me whose book I was gifted by a family member and I really cherish, and I know you admire a lot, is uh, Robert Fisk, who has very much had his character assassinated uh, around the time of his death and afterwards for just, you know, just a bunch of hoopla around his name and whatnot. That It's not often that someone yes. gets to be put on a pinnacle like King. So that's why it would have been interesting for me to hear. But, of course, I know it's tough on the spot to think of questions. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Look, Robert Fisk is a great example. And actually, I've meant to do something about that because it's true. When he died, he was totally character assassinated and wasn't given the praise that he deserved as being an actual authentic journalist who uh, reported accurately from the Middle East, a, a place that's been subject to so much propaganda in the interest of um, Western hegemony. And uh, there's actually a great movie by about Robert Fisk that a friend of mine made um, named oh, wow. Young Chang. And uh, it's a documentary. It's produced in Canada. It's called This Is Not a Movie. And uh, my friend, the director, Young Chang, made it. And it's so good. I, I'm pretty sure it's available online. And it follows Fisk around during the last years of his life. It follows him to Lebanon, to Syria, to uh, parts of Europe as he's actually tracking down weapons that were sent by the CIA and its allies to Syria via Europe from weapons factories in Eastern Europe. And it's so good. And it's such a great portrait of who Robert Fisk actually was and, um, and what he represented. And uh, he, and I've actually meant to do something about that. So this is actually a good reminder that I want to do a proper tribute to him because when you talk about what journalism is supposed to be, especially Western journalism, you know, the heart of the of the global hegemon, uh, having people who are willing to speak accurately about what it's doing around the world. I mean, Robert Fisk was was the quintessential example. And um, I uh, I certainly learned a lot from him. So that's a good reminder to actually do something about that. And um, if I can think during this call of someone who, you know, who fits the bill of your question, I will respond. I just I'm still drawing a blank. It's just it's hard to think beyond Dr. King. No if anybody worries. Else, if anybody else has any candidates, I'd, I'd love to hear uh, who they are. And Aaron, if I may, uh, that was just one thing that I thought of as I was speaking. But what I uh, originally wanted to ask, if it's all right, and Fisk is a good tie to this about Syria, and because how how um, relentless Fisk was about calling out all atrocities from all governments, Assad included, given that he was uh, there at the Hama massacre in 1982 under Hafez al-Assad, which I've seen estimates anywhere from 10,000 to 40,000 civilians killed. It was Howard Zinn who said specifically that oftentimes in wars and such, you can never get an exact number. Um, and obviously it pertains in a case like Hama massacre. But um, what I appreciate about what you've done about Bashar al-Assad is I've seen you at least two times on your Twitter say that uh, he's a mass murderer. And, it's, and that you've said it's descriptive and accurate. And I know Fisk was much the same way about Assad and his dad and many other autocrats and tyrants in the Middle East, as his books demonstrate. So what I wanted to ask was, uh, and I wish Jim Dore was here too, because it, of course, is fair for him to be able to respond. 
But I've seen both on your Twitter and on Jimmy Dore's Twitter when Jimmy Dore responded to uh, the journalist George Mondiat in uh, May of 2019. And Jimmy said that the Syrian gas attacks were a hoax. And so, of course, I know you've documented well and you deserve important credit for it with the Duma attack in 2018 that had uh, a cover-up by the OPCW. You've done uh, extensive work on it, of course. And I've I've noticed that much of your work, specifically uh, on gas attacks, refers to uh, predominantly two attacks, the 2017 Khan Sheikhoun gas attack and the 2018 Duma gas attack. And I think I've seen you speak about the 2013 one on Ghouta as well. That was a big uh, issue during Obama's time. Of course, especially because there was so much suspicion around these three big attacks. And if I'm not mistaken, that was what really led to uh, airstrikes by the U.S., United Kingdom, and France thereafter. However, what I want to clarify as well, because that's what Jimmy Dore said in response to George Mambiat, and I hope I'm not getting him out of context. That's what I would have liked to ask him to clear up. Uh, you know, I also went to a Jimmy Dore show uh, not uh, too many months ago with one of my friends and my dad as well. So uh, I don't want to approach him too, like, you know, from a point of like, I wouldn't want to give him a fair hearing. And further, I know you've also said uh, in response to uh, someone else's uh, tweets, or maybe it was your own tweet, that uh, about the, oh, yes, it was in October of 2021. That to believe that Assad used chemical weapons, you'd have to, this is quoting, you'd have to have to believe that he chose, he'd choose to invite U.S. military intervention, so on and so forth. Now, I want to clarify from you, since you're on the line, if that was specifically in reference like Duma and Khan Sheikhoun or otherwise. Because if I'm not mistaken, there are two gas, uh, rather chemical attacks in which the OPCW and the United Nations concluded that there was sufficient evidence about the Syrian Arab Air Force helicopters dropping devices that release such toxic uh, substances. And that was in Idlib, Syria in 2014, the Talminas chemical attack. And in Idlib, Syria, again, the Saruman chemical attack in March of 2015. And there were uh, deaths from both those instances, three civilians killed in the Talminas chemical attack. And there were six uh, people killed in the Sarmin gas attack, uh, including three children under the age of three and their grandmother. So I know that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, look, when it comes to the allegations that Syria has used chemical attacks against civilians, you're citing there a mechanism from the OPCW that's called the Joint Investigative Mechanism. Uh, Sorry, no, that's called the IIT, uh, which is the basically the replacement for the Joint Investigative Mechanism. And I don't at this point trust anything the OPCW says when it comes to blaming Syria for chemical attacks, because I've shown through my reporting, through leaks from the OPCW, that the OPCW is completely compromised. So how can I take the OPCW's claims about Syria on faith when they've been caught fabricating evidence and censoring exculpatory evidence that undermines allegations that Syria was guilty of chemical attacks? It just would not make sense for me to treat the OPCW's conclusions of blame as credible when we've already established that they've been compromised uh, to falsely uh, suggest that Syria was guilty of chemical attacks, as was the case in Duma. It just wouldn't make sense. Um, I haven't looked into every single case, so I can't speak to the specifics. But just on the surface, it makes no sense at all that Syria would choose to do the one thing that it knows 
will invite U.S. military intervention. And you also look at the fact that these chemical attacks never actually hit the rebels that are that have over the course of a decade taken entire Syrian provinces like Idlib, where Al Qaeda took Idlib. Yet there yet somehow these rebels never are killed in chemical attacks. It's always only defenseless civilians in buildings. So logically, it makes absolutely no sense that Assad would somehow choose to not use his chemical arsenal against the rebels who are attacking his soldiers and retaking his provinces, but only use them against chemical uh, against defenseless civilians. That does make sense, though, uh, for in terms of uh, who would could launch such an attack or stage such an attack for rebels to do that is because they know because Obama laid down the red line and Trump vowed to follow it and Trump did follow it, actually. Uh, they know that if they can tr- trigger an allegation of chemical weapons used by Syria, that that will invite U.S. military intervention. And if you look at the major cases, uh, such as Ghouta 2013, it's undeniable now to me that the uh, insurgents were behind that attack. You have the reporting of Seymour Hersh, which cites leaked documents uh, from inside the U.S. government, which talk about uh, the insurgents uh, acquiring sarin materials from Turkey. You have the fact that al-Qaeda members were caught in Turkey with sarin materials. Um, you have the fact that, as Hirsch reported, the British military lab Port and Down did a test, and the sarin found in Ghouta was not a match with the sarin known to be in the Syrian arsenal. Recently on pushback on my show, I, did, I interviewed uh, some researchers who did a study that nobody has challenged, which mapped the trajectories of all the rockets that landed in Ghouta and found that they all come based on their ranges, which was uh, established by a scientist named Theodore Postal and has been accepted by the UN, by the way, that the trajectories all map to a single location that's inside insurgent controlled territory, not the Syrian government controlled territory. So there's to me, and then you have, of course, Duma and the trove of evidence that was suppressed by the LPCW that was published by WikiLeaks. So all the evidence points in one direction and all the logic points in one direction. So for me to then accept on faith claims that are made to the contrary just does not make any sense. And let me also address something else you said, because it's important. I have called Assad a mass murderer before on Twitter, but just to be honest with you, that's not a term I would use now because the more I've learned about the Syrian dirty war and the more I learned about the billions and billions and billions of dollars that were spent on weapons uh, and propaganda uh, to whitewash those, those those weapons that went into the hands, not of moderate rebels, not freedom-loving Democrats in Syria, but sectarian death squads. I mean, that's who the insurgency was, and everybody admits that now. That's what the De- Defense Intelligence Agency admitted in a leaked uh, 2012 report early on in the war. That's what David McCloskey, who's a former CIA analyst who covered Syria during his time, that's what he admitted to me too recently on pushback. That's what Jake Sullivan admitted when he said in a February 2012 email to Hillary Clinton that al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria. All of them admit that the drivers of the insurgency in Syria were sectarian death squads like al-Qaeda. And Assad certainly committed many atrocities, killed a lot of people, but he did that in the context of defending his country. So I'm not going to condemn him for um, acts of war that are committed in the process of defending his own territory. He didn't invade the U.S. He didn't invade Iran or Syria or Jordan. His neighbors, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, 
Israel invaded him essentially by supplying weapons to sectarian death squads. And I'm not going to hold his government primarily responsible for acts that they take to defend their country, especially if they're working, by the way, with primitive, with, with not sophisticated weapons. They don't have precision weapons like the U.S. and Israel do. So if you're going to launch a war in a foreign country, that country is going to respond unless they want to be taken over by al-Qaeda or ISIS and whoever else. So that's why I wouldn't use that language now the more that I've learned about the Syria dirty war. Well, if I may just respond to that, I think it doesn't preclude you from making the criticisms that you justifiably do about the United States funding al-Qaeda, ISIS, which Jake Sullivan said, as you've put what Biden said, I think it's like tens of thousands of weapons by the minute and hundreds of millions, if not billion plus dollars. Like this is all true, but that doesn't preclude you from still calling Assad a mass murder and still condemning the United States effort. Um, and even despite that, Assad still carried out murder and torture prior to, I don't know, 2010, 2011, as well as his father did, which you've, I've seen you speak on. What of course, I, 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 of course, I would never dispute that the Assad government uh, carried out atrocities. Uh, before and after the war. I know, and I say this many times, a lot of people suffered under the Syrian government. But still, that doesn't give anyone else the right to commit infinitely more atrocities and cause infinitely more atrocities by launching a, a dirty war on a foreign country with billions. The, the world's richest countries, you know, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, the U.S., spent so much money yeah. flooding this country with weapons. And I'm not going to hold... I'm not going to condemn the Syrian government for what they do in response. They have the right to defend themselves. I don't want to, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a fan of the government. doesn't mean I like their policies. That, that to me is Syrian's business. It's not my business as a Westerner, what Syria, what Syria, who rules Syria. My business is stopping my own government's atrocities and debunking the propaganda that, that they put out to whitewash those atrocities. And it's, it, to me, it'd be so hypocritical to condemn Syria for acts that it takes in defense of its own territory from a war that is launched by my own government. My concern should be my own government and its crimes, not what foreign states do to defend themselves from it. So I want to respond exactly with Robert Fisk, because Robert Fisk didn't take that position. Robert Fisk condemned Syria for their crimes during Assad's time, and he condemned the United States, the British and French and so on. This is Chomsky's position I've seen him share, and I've seen Glenn Greenwald quote that position that he can influence firstly like that his government that is the United States is one of the largest purveyors in the world of such atrocities first and secondly that he has an impact on it that's the Chomsky quote I paraphrase but I believe that the second part of that quote which seems to influence your thinking doesn't hold in the sense that through social media and your platform Grant, you have like over 170 5,000 plus followers just on Twitter and so on there are people in the Middle East who will see your work um, granted through a lot of um, uh, difficulty, but it can influence uh, their thinking and so on. And you provide a lot of evidence in many ways. And so that's why I don't understand why it would preclude you from doing so. Secondly, I, I'm not saying you need to take the OPCW and, and just trust them blindly. Uh, perhaps that was, uh, I didn't qualify my statement as well, but rather that you should do the exact same type of, and now I'm not saying that this is your onus or anything, but that specifically in the two chemical attacks I mentioned, Talminas and Sarman, and yes, they were in Idlib, and yes, Idlib is a terrorist haven. That's, that's evident. It's like 70 plus, I don't know what exactly the number is, overwhelming majority is controlled by ISIS-type figures. But 
that these attacks with the sufficient evidence, because uh, granted, there are the several whistleblowers that you've done for your Duma reporting, you've spoken of, seeing what their perspective is, for instance, on the Talmina's and Saruman chemical attack and otherwise. Uh, that's that's all I would be saying in, in that instance. Okay, well, listen, listen, listen. What I will say is at the Gray Zone last year, I believe, we published an article, and um, I will send it to you. Um, if you email me, I'll send it to you. We published an article that was written by uh, – we describe them as OPCW insiders. Uh, this is a group of OPCW insiders. That's how we describe them. Responding to one of the IIT reports blaming Syria for an unrelated uh, chemical attack, like unrelated to Duma. So it might have even been one of the ones you, you mentioned. So they have actually taken on um, allegations beyond Duma 2018 and, and Guta 2013. So if you email me, I'll send that to you. And I'll just say, again, Think of the logic. So Al-Qaeda, using U.S. weapons, by the way, takes the entire Syrian province of Idlib. Somehow Assad decides to never hit them with chemical attacks. He does manage to, uh, according to the official narrative, launch chemical attacks on a few, just to uh, use, uh, chemical, use them against, against a small number of civilians. Um, and it just, without even looking at the specific incidents that you mentioned, just the logic makes no sense. And I, I bet you, if I were to scrutinize those reports the way that I've scrutinized the Duma case, I could find fault. But the problem is, uh, in the ones you've mentioned, I haven't looked at them yet, so it's I can't comment uh, with some authority. But I'll just say on the surface, given the preponderance of evidence pointing to staging in the other cases, given the fact the OPCW has been compromised, it's and, and given the logic of Assad choosing to do the one thing he knows could invite U.S. military intervention and doing it with no military gain because he's not hitting the people who are who are attacking his own soldiers and retaking his territory. doesn't make any sense. And do you have a response to what I said about Fisk and Chomsky, the stances, so on? Well, if they're, yes. And so, and I, this is where I disagree with them. I just don't think it's my place as a Western citizen when my government is, uh, subjecting Syria to one of the most expensive, dirty wars in history, and now subjecting it, by the way, to economic warfare via sanctions. It's not my place to condemn Syria for how it responds. Um, it doesn't mean I like the government. As I said, it doesn't mean I endorse their policies. And I recognize that there's been a lot of suffering under the rule of Assad, and that I know people who have been um, tortured in Syrian prisons and whose families faced persecution from the Syrian government because they were leftists, you know? So I know it, it, it wasn't a, um, uh, you know, a, a safe place for, for people with certain political views to go against the government and that they've paid the price for that. But I, I'm not going, I think it's so hypocritical and this is where, you know, I, I love Chomsky, I love Fisk. Uh, I, I'm not going to, it's not my place to condemn a government, no matter what I think about it, for, military actions that it takes in response and the key word is in response to foreign aggression that's where i just disagree Aaron, with them if i may respond was it not more hypocritical to have one set of standards for your own government and one set of standards for a different government is it not no. less universal no no because in fact chomsky in fact chomsky will say that you should have a higher standard for yourself or else you're a hypocrite people you know should actually have a higher standard for yourself first before you condemn other people Cornell West takes a universalist stance. He calls Iran a fascist theocratic state. Furthermore, if I'm not mistaken, even if you look at like Marx, it's workers of the world unite. Is it? Is it not? 
Like every yeah, sure, being sure, a human being. Sure. And is it yeah. not? It, I'm not saying I'm not saying Aaron because I know it's an important qualifier that human rights organizations are not used by the U.S. State Department and MI6 and so on to justify based off false flags, farcical reasons, and so on. We've seen that with the incubator babies in the first Iraq War, weapons of mass yeah. destruction. From that's all true. What I'm saying is there are false flags and there are legitimate ones in terms of atrocities carried out by other governments. But I'm saying it. If your statement takes, for instance, like five minutes to condemn the United States, it, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're not uh, breaking yourself to condemn the others as well. As all I'm saying, like Fisk's, you know, very perilous efforts showed throughout his entire career. He was almost beaten to death. I think it was in Afghanistan. Uh, he's a very, he's ago. a very brave, he's a very brave person who's done so much important work and he's one of my heroes. But, um, on, uh, and, and, and look, I think we can wrap it up because we've gone on for a while. Uh, and I want to get to the next caller to, to give to give them time. But um, for me personally, uh, I, I'm not endorsing the Iranian government, the Syrian government, or any other government. And I also don't think it's I'm not the UN, so it's not my place to condemn or endorse every single government. It's my place to be concerned about the actions of my own government. And again, and this is my position. And I get I understand that it differs from yours and from people like Chomsky. If I understand Chomsky's argument right. It's, I don't think it's my place to condemn governments for actions that they take in response to foreign aggression. I can condemn Iran or Syria for other things, for how they their own internal policies. But um, that's, you know, to my own primary concern is my own government. To me, ultimately, it's not really my business um, how, what Iran does to its own people. That doesn't mean I can't condemn it, but it's certainly not anywhere near my primary concern, especially at a time when my own government is subjecting places like Iran and Syria to so much uh, suffering, you know, with Iran via the sanctions and Syria via the dirty war and the ongoing sanctions. So um, let's leave it there, Kusha. I, uh, you're welcome back anytime to continue this, but I want to get to uh, the next caller. Okay. Absolutely. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for letting me speak. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, Tree Marie. And uh, just unmute yourself before you talk. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, I, I just wanted to um, comment on a, an article that you shared yesterday, as well as Jimmy Dore talked about on his show last night. Um, it was the reporting by um, Jordan Sheraton about the Flint. Um, okay. Yeah. And the attorney general thing. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you can't, this ties into something you brought up earlier about reporting being ignored. Um, and you know, it pretty much fell flat. I noticed, um, you know, I have a couple, um, reporters like from the establishment media that I'm, you know, connected with on Twitter and, you know, um, it's like, it fell flat and, you know, I, I had made comments that, you know, I mean, I voted for this attorney general. Um, Mm. and I, you know, I, I said that, you know, any dumb who, you know, votes for her after this reporting, you know, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned is a privileged hypocrite and a shit lip, you know? Um, and, you know, I was told that, you know, Charlie Ladoff, the other reporter on the story, you know, is a hack, you know? And I said, Oh, well, is Jordan Sheraton. And, and I named some of the, um, the high profile, you know, um, sources in the story um who are you know uh you know are they all hacks too and um yeah so i just um i just want to 
comment on that and just how frustrating it is. Yeah. Let's just explain the, the story briefly for people who missed it. So Jordan Cheriton, who's, uh, Jordan Cheriton is a great reporter uh, with Status Coup, had an article where he reported that um, prosecutors in Michigan, they were basically close to filing racketeering charges against government officials um, for financial fraud uh, that led up to the uh, Flint water crisis. But then the Michigan AG, Dana Nessel is her yes. name. Um, after she came to office, she basically fired those prosecutors and, and dropped that effort to bring racketeering charges. That's the story, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're fr- and, and you're and you're saying that I mean I didn't I didn't follow the reaction. So you're saying that it didn't get it didn't get the traction that that you hoped to see. You right, right. Yeah. It was yeah. It was pretty much let's just attack you know one of the reporters on it and let's ignore it and yeah. Um, it's you know it's just frustrating because you know um, you know I. I you can talk about structural racism and stuff all you want, but you know, if it's more important to you to ignore inconvenient truths, um, you know, in order to uphold the, you know, the political power structure you want mm-hmm. that you prefer, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's just frustrating. And, and, yep. I'm upset, and I'm a little upset that, you know, we had to get that reporting from someone, you know, outside. You know, yeah, they have to yeah. come in and do this. So are you from Michigan? Yes, I am I'm from the yeah, Detroit yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, you know, and this this actually speaks to something I think Jimmy raised where he was, you know, criticizing Democrats and talked about how they can get away with things that Republicans can't. Now, the governor of Michigan at the time of the Flint water crisis, Snyder, he, he's a Republican, right? Snyder was. Yes, yes. But mm-hmm. but the president was Barack Obama. And I don't know, have you watched that scene in Michael Moore's movie where he talks about Obama? I mean, that, so that really, I hadn't seen that. I guess I, I always, I hadn't, or maybe I forgot about it, but that that scene where Mike, where Barack Obama goes to Flint and he does that stupid stunt where he pretends to drink the water, takes a, like a puny sip, if even a sip at all, was just so insulting. And um, I wonder now if that's, kind of why this doesn't get the attention that it deserves is because the Obama administration was also complicit in this. I mean, they, you know, Obama could have taken so many measures to help the people of Flint after it happened, if not before. I mean, maybe it's entirely Snyder's fault before the crisis came to life, but certainly afterwards, Obama could have, for example, declared a FEMA emergency, right? Uh, He could have done things like that, but he didn't. Instead, he gave them PR stunts. So I wonder if going back to Jimmy's point is one of the reasons we just don't hear about the story enough is because there's democratic complicity too. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So how about in Michigan? Is it, how about, how, how about in Michigan? Is it, is it talked? Is it like, does it get coverage, like sufficient coverage inside Michigan? Um, no, no, Mm -hmm. actually, um, there was somebody had, uh, uh, given a some kind of tip or something to someone from the free press um actually high up they confronted him about why didn't the paper report on this more and you know right. he just kind of shucked it off well low staffing and stuff like that you know well you know throughout this um pandemic i mean both of the detroit papers the detroit news and the free press they're 
they put paywalls around a lot of their stories. You know, I'm paying a subscription now, which is fine, you know, hoping to keep everybody on and stuff. But you're not, you know, you're not reporting on this. I mean, mm. um, you know, I just feel like it's just like everyone is still so afraid of like the Trump thing and anybody associated with Trump getting elected that they will tolerate anything from a Democrat, anything, you know, yeah. to yeah. stay in power. So it's just, you know, I, I, if there's any sharing or I just hope it does get some traction, but I just wanted to let you know, and, 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 um, yeah, what I see happening here. I well, look, it. yeah, no, listen, I, thanks for raising, thanks for raising this. I, um, and look, I'll, um, I'll share the article again today. Even though it was published in the Guardian, which I have a whole lot of problems with, because you know, know on every issue, on every issue I care about or I spend my time on, like Russia Gate, the Syria Dirty War, uh, they're <laughs> they're they're completely. Yes. In the, but anyway, but but I'll make an exception for Jordan, and because um, it's such a great and important story, so I'll share. And Thank I, yeah, you. It's, I, I I really hear your point. I I totally agree. And stories like this should get way more attention. And. Um, Last call, everybody, if you're for who's listening. Last call for callers before we wrap it up. And thank you, True Marie. Thank you for 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 calling. Thank you. In. Take care. Take care. All right, we've got uh, four revolution. Chris, back again. Okay, here you go. Hey, there's something I forgot to say that I wanted to ask you before uh, when you and Jimmy were talking. Hold on. <laughs> when you and Jimmy were talking, uh, you he's saying, you know basically have no regrets or don't vote for him anyway. And you're saying, but then we get Republicans and stuff that I'd like to ask you about that is what do you think about kind of a, a pendulum theory? Like the worse it gets, the more people start paying attention. And cause I think part of, part of the problem is there's a complacency and there's not enough action from, from the masses of people. I mean, we have pretty low, uh, elect or uh, voting rates in this country, and you know, I think if we got more people voting, I think you know, if you look at the polling uh, on issue based polling, people are on our side on on almost every issue. You know, legalizing weed, getting health care for everyone, um, ending wars, less military, taxing the rich, like almost all these issues. The uh, we're we're on the right side and the majority of people are on the right side but do you think that that if things get bad enough it will compel more people to vote to be engaged to pay attention because i think that's that's a big part of the problem on why things don't change enough is there's a built-in complacency amongst the american people that allows these things to continue and if it gets bad enough then we get closer to having a revolution or or at least revolutionary changes in governance and how our government operates and exists. See, I struggle with this issue. Um, When I look at the examples in recent history that have inspired me most, that was people in the most dire conditions organizing and achieving a popular progressive victory. And I'm talking about in Bolivia with a movement that elected Evo Morales and Haiti, you know, Um, one of the poorest countries in the hemisphere, like Bolivia, 
electing twice Jean Bouchard Aristide, who was a, a priest who came from the masses. And, and in the case of, uh, of both countries, that was when con- conditions had gotten so dire. And yet in those dire conditions, people managed to organize and elect these uh, leaders who actually represented them and spoke to their concerns. Now, of course, both of them were overthrown in U.S.-backed coups, uh, and RST was overthrown twice, actually, uh, in U.S.-backed coups. But, but I think about, so when, we, when I look at the U.S., do things need to get so bad like they did in a country like Bolivia and Haiti, you know, um, that that's the only opportunity that we'll have to really elect leaders who come from the masses when the masses are so in such dire straits that we're compelled to organize and find a leader who actually represents us and not just settle for these, you know, milquetoast corporate Democrats. But the problem with that is it's just like to advocate um, conditions getting worse and to effectively advocate electing Republicans, at least for one cycle or two. I mean, that's ultimately the argument you're, you're making if you're advocating withholding your vote from Democrats is you're going to elect Republicans. That's who will benefit. And I look at Republicans, which I think is, you know, I, I see nothing positive. I mean, sometimes rhetorically, there's some anti-war positions from the kind of libertarian wing of the party, but that's pretty minor. And as I said before with Jimmy, even when someone like Trump comes along and spouts some anti-interventionist rhetoric, as he did in 2016, completely goes against that when he takes office. And his administration was filled with all the neocons who he pretended to be against when he ran for, for president. So it's hard to advocate that outcome where you essentially elect Republicans and make things arguably even worse for people. Um, you know, on I that point, though, don't yeah. don't you think that Trump was, you know, the problem with Trump is that he's so intellectually uncurious and, and kind of a, a dense, stupid person and he's lazy. And that's why all the neocons took he talked about draining the swamp and then he brought the entire swamp in. And I think that's a reflection more of him being who he is and the things I just described to him. So if you get somebody who's competent. And, you know, that's kind of kind of the fear of DeSantis, in my opinion, is that he is more competent, but he has the same kind of thoughts as Trump on a lot of things. And I don't think he has much anti-interventionist uh, stuff himself either, which is standard well, GOP. But to, to yeah. speak real quick to what Jimmy said, you know, what's the what's the big difference between what the Democrats do and the Republicans do? There's not a, a huge difference. I mean, they might ban yeah. abortion. The, yeah, they well, might, look, but but but, but that's, that's going to happen at the Supreme Court, right? But that's look the even like the um the smallest differences between the world's most powerful people still make a big difference to the most vulnerable. I really do believe that. So I don't think Democrats would have done Trump's tax heist, which um just gave even more money to the wealthy. Um, you know, the under Democrats, the child tax credit was expanded. I don't know if if Republicans would have done that. I have no reason to think that they would. So I, it's like as someone who it's like if a Republican wins, me personally, I'm not going to be severely impacted because I'm not in the category of the most vulnerable people, the lowest people on the economic ladder. I'm, I'm not going to be uh, targeted by their policies. Um, so how can I advocate elect? How can I advocate as someone who's not going to bear the brunt of their policies, how can I advocate electing them if under Democrats there's a better chance, and I'm not saying it's guaranteed, there's a better chance at least that the most vulnerable will be slightly less attacked. Of course, the vulnerable will always be attacked in the class war, 
w- waged constantly by both parties against uh, the lower classes. But if there's a chance that, Democrat, that the most vulnerable will be slightly less attacked under Democrats, then how can I advocate a solution that ultimately installs Republicans? It's just, it's a Where hard do you argument live there? You live in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. Run by Democrats. Do you have homeless people under every bridge on every quarter, tent cities everywhere? I live in Denver, and that's what we have under Democrats. We have a Democratic mayor, a Democratic governor. Democrats cause plenty of social issues on their own. These aren't Republican-controlled cities or states, and we have massive homeless issues in all of these places where Democrats are, are in charge. So I, I just... I, we can go back and forth on this. I do kind of understand your opinion, but it's like it's bad under Democrats. It's bad under Republicans. And I got that. I got that. So you know what? So I could, you know, if someone were to say we need to show Democrats that we're not going to keep giving them a blank check and we need to, you know, as Jamie was talking about, that if you keep voting for them, they're never going to change. You know, that's that is persuasive. But I just want to be honest about the consequences. I don't want to pretend that electing Republicans might even yield some positive outcomes in terms of maybe they can be swayed to do something positive because I've never, I've, I see no evidence for that anywhere where, where Republicans, you know, get a populist uh, bent and they decide to do something positive that Democrats wouldn't do. I just don't see that happening. Um, it's possible they could be just as bad and that I'm wrong, that there's no, that there's, doesn't make a difference. But I, I personally see no evidence to expect that a Republican could be, any better. And I just, if the argument is it needs, people need to suffer for now because for the long term, we need to find a way to undermine the Democrats. You know, look, I, I can't, um, I can't completely dismiss that argument because I accept the premise that Democrats are a major obstacle to progress. So I just think it's tough. I just think it's very, very tough. And I think it's important to be debated, but as long as we recognize what the consequences are. I hear you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for calling in. So no more callers. So we're going to wrap it up. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jimmy and I'll be back uh, very, very soon. Oh, we got a bonus caller. And uh, all right, we'll do that. We'll let Omar come in Um, and uh, Omar, unmute yourself when you speak. All right. Hey, Aaron. Hey. Hey. um, So. One of the things that, yeah, I understand what you're saying about um, that small differences can can really impact some people who are pretty vulnerable. But I think that, like, the situation that we're in, like, in terms of climate, in terms of healthcare, education, debt, I mean, it's pretty extreme. And I think that it calls for, like, much bigger much bigger reform, much bigger. Um, we, we need to overhaul like our, our system. We don't have a democracy um, based on, you know, studies in Princeton where they looked at policies versus public opinion. And our, our opinions are not being reflected by those that we elect to, to represent us. Um, and so I think it's just a really dire situation. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate, you know, the, the level of, of effort and change that we need to engage in in order to, you know, lift a lot of, you know, global suffering to like at the rate that we need to. Um, and so, uh, like I think 
there needs to be a like a broad education. I, I also called into Brianna Joy Gray's um, show and said that it's there's so many opportunities for people like Bernie when they're running uh, to educate people on how we got to where we got. And I don't think he took that, those opportunities to do that. Uh, he could have said like, that we're not engaging in uh, redistribution of wealth. Like that wealth was stolen from you, from those at the top. And, and it's been happening over the last 40 years uh, so he could have won over people that were on the margins uh, because it, when you educate people about the sequence of events that led to this, like I think it would bring more people on board to that message and we would start calling out corrupt Republicans and Democrats. Um, they, they seem to be captured. The squad seems to be captured as well. Uh, and I don't know if Nancy Pelosi sat them down and just had this kind of thinly veiled threat to them, but it, it just, they seem to have lost their teeth. Um, and, and it's happened across the board. So like, I don't see the democratic party as, you know, a vehicle for, for the commensurate change that we need uh, to get us out of this, this catastrophe that we're in. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. They're not, a vehicle for change and they do they are an obstacle to progress it's just how we get to replacing them when you have the alternative is the republican party it's just that to me is the challenge and i, I don't claim to know the answers i just in my comments today i've tried to lay out what my concerns are about adopting the you know what jimmy Dore was advocating um and i'm not saying i think he's wrong i just have concerns about what the consequences are and i'm wondering if you know there are ways to keep electing Democrats to avoid Republicans while still organizing outside of Congress and building up a, another political party that way. And, and into, you know, maybe doing t undertaking those efforts. And then once, once it's reached a critical mass, you know, then you stop voting for Democrats. But of course the counter argument to that would be, well, you cannot build a political party as long as you're keeping to put Democrats in power. It's, um, it's tough. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I don't have the answers, but I just the concerns I've raised today about, again, it's not me who will bear the brunt of uh, Republican policies if they're in power. And I just have a hard time advocating for an outcome that leads to installing in power the uh, the worst people, you know, and, I, and when I look at the Republicans, I mean, I I do see them that way. That is that is how I see them. So um, that's my yeah. concern. And I but I yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that we need to engage in a really concerted effort where we name and shame both sides, both individual uh, Democrats and Republicans and show like what they promised, what they ran on and the discrepancy of what they voted on. I mean, that, that needs to be systematic. That needs to be broadcast to as many people as we can so that we can shame either shame them into uh falling in line with with what our needs are what our will is um or just getting them out of public office and and replacing them with people um because this this is ridiculous well i hear that and i uh i totally agree with that so thank you omar for uh, for calling in sure thank you 
All right. So we'll wrap it there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, I really appreciate you taking part in this call. Uh, and we'll be back with another. I'll, I might even do another one this week. We'll see if I have something good to talk about. I'll do another one. And um, you can, in the meanwhile, catch me on my show, Pushback, at thegrayzone.com, where I'll also have more reporting soon on the OPCW scandal. I'm working on my next article about that. And uh, I'm also on Substack, which you can sign up for to receive my newsletter. And, yeah, I really appreciate you tuning in, and I hope you have a great day.